Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 280, recorded January 7th, 2018. First recording of 2018. Yay. That's true, that's true. All right. So what are we doing today, Donovan? Maybe somebody will listen to this before 2018's over. (laughs) We need to ramp up uh, editing. That's true. All right, so today we have three great books. We have uh, Boldly Go number six, Boldly Go number seven, which is set in the Kelvin universe, mm-hmm. post Star Trek Beyond. And then we have Star Trek Waypoint number six, which has a story from the original series, plus a story from Star Trek Phase Two, the false start Star Trek TV series that was going to come out instead of uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Right. On that last one. I was expecting it to be more different, but in the end, it wasn't that much different except for the replacement of Spock with another Vulcan, a full-blooded Vulcan. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. This that story could take place in the real Star Trek continuity, right? It's, uh, I mean, yeah, that was the only difference, which was a little sad because they they did. I mean, I have seen the Enterprise look different. They had mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like this. Well, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about uh, it. But yeah, it would have been nice to see some of those other differences. Yeah. And of course, also, isn't that the last Waypoint issue, unfortunately? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Seems to be. Maybe it was just, they hit every every franchise that they could at least once and then called it. Yeah, so they talked about it being the last one, but I don't think they said anything in the issue about why it's the last one, which... Maybe that was always the plan, or maybe it just wasn't selling. Probably it just wasn't selling. That's too bad. It has yeah. to be selling better than Mirror Universe stuff. I don't know. I guess people like the Mirror Universe stuff. Yeah, but I'm getting kind of sick of it. Yeah, they do it way too much. They do it a lot. Okay. But anyways, there's no Mirror Universe in these four stories. There you go. So uh, should I go ahead and get started with number six of Boldly Go? Please do. All right, so this came out uh, from IDW on March 2017. It was uh, had several covers, as most IDWs do. The first one is a cover by George Costotis, and it shows McCoy at a bar with a, a waitress with some Starfleet swooshes on her, uh, kind of in the back. The next one is a cover, and it looks like it's a poster of Star Trek Beyond with Scotty and the Swarm. The next one is by Mark Lamming, and it's a paper doll cutout with Scotty and Kinzer. And then the last one is by Tony Shaston, and it is Sulu standing in front of his transfer order screen, saying that he's being posted to the USS Miranda. So it was written by Mark Johnson and Ryan Parrott, art by Chris Mooneyham, colors by... J.D. Mettler, letters by Anne World Design, production design by Carista Minzer, edits by Sarah Gatos, and publisher is Ted Adams. 
It starts off with Kirk in command of the USS Endeavor, and they're stopping by a starbase. There, Kirk meets up with Sulu and offers him the position of first officer since his previous first officer, Vallis, was recently abducted by the Romulans. Sulu agrees. Later, the Endeavor arrives at a white hole to study it. They are the first ones to ever investigate such a phenomenon. As they get closer and they plan to launch a probe, the engines are sabotaged by an Andorian crew member. She refuses to say why she did it, other than it was for their own good. Later, still, another crew member, this time a, a male human, arrives to the brig and he stuns the guards and frees the Andorian woman. They arrive to engineering to try to stop the engines again. Here, the Andorian reveals her true nature. She is actually an alien from another dimension visiting this universe as an observer. She knows that the white hole is delicate and that the ship or probe could destroy it and then also destroy the ship. As she starts to glow and fly off the floor, she tells Scotty and Sulu that it is too late. Then she rushes out of the ship to try to stop a massive light pulse that is coming from the white hole as it was being destructed. She kills herself in order to save the ship. Later, we learn that the man who helped her is also a traveler from her dimension and that the white hole was their gateway to their dimension. So now he's stuck in this universe with no way home. Starfleet gives him permission to stay aboard the Endeavor as a crew member. Kirk states that it feels odd for another species to do the prime directive on them. And then there's a final little closing scene where Vallis is in a Romulan prison cell, and she meets up with someone from the Romulan Secret Service, the Tal Shiar. The end. The Tal Shiar. So they're a Romulan spy group. Yeah, who Garrick may or may not be working for. No, wait, Garrick, he was, that was, he was... That's Cardassian. Cardassian. What was their thing called? Dang it. I don't uh, know, but they have their own spy group. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, what'd you think of this story? I think the whole white hole thing was just another example of just taking a scientific theory and using it in a story. You know, it doesn't really make that much sense. But it, it teaches us kiddies what a white hole is. Well, I, quite frankly, I've never heard of a white hole before. Or if I had ever heard of a white hole, I have. I really don't recall it. It really just sounds like one of those, well, if you have a positive of something, you have to have a negative something in theory. So there you go, white hole. Right. I have heard of white holes, but I don't really know what they are. I mean, so they're just constantly emitting something. So how is that different than a sun? Yeah, they well, didn't really explain the science behind what a white no. hole is. It's just like, hey, here's a white hole. Let's go look for it. I know, but... So a black hole is all about gravity because there's so much mass at the center of the uh, black hole that it has huge gravitational forces. So right. a white hole push gives a push uh, opposite of gravity. It repels things. Okay. That doesn't make sense. What's doing that? Lack of mass? Is that, uh, huh? Anyway, whatever. Don't think about it too much. So, uh, yeah. Just, you know. So long story short, even though we just were exposed to the term white hole, uh, neither one of us actually looked it up to see what it was. No, I did not. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so well, what do you think about the other idea, the idea of a more advanced race 
that is observing us like primitive pre-industrial societies that the Federation studies. I loved it. I thought that was great. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. Wish they would have spent some more time on that. Yeah, which of course Q looks in and is observing too, but really that's for his own enjoyment and entertainment. Right. uh, As opposed to a benevolent advanced society who feels almost a kinship to these these primitives running around in starships. Right. Yeah, so I mean there there's a there's a TV show called Time Cop based yeah. on the uh, the movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme? Exactly. He's not in the TV show though. I, but, I wouldn't expect it. <laughs> but uh I thought they did I mean the show's not the greatest, but there was one concept that they kind of had going in through several episodes was, you know, the the whole premise is that they're policing time travel you know, time travel people, you know, people yeah. going through time and, yeah. and, and for their own gains. Right. But then they're exposed to, well, there's this other time organization further in the future that are kind of doing the same thing to, to them. them. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, I was like, that is so brilliant idea that, you know, who are you to think that you know all the right answers and, and there might be an organization that's more advanced than you that are, that's kind of pulling your strings and making sure you don't go out of line. So yeah, that, that's what I was kind of thinking about this when when he was saying it's it's weird to be prime directive, Don. Uh, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, and of course in Star Trek we got people coming back from the future in their time ships, looking in on things. Definitely Enterprise had a lot of that in the right. What was that guy's name? I forgot. Uh, crewman, whatever. Oh yeah, the the one that turned to be a future guy. I forgot his name. Yeah, Voyager had some of it too. Where they were. Exactly. Know. Right. Was it the Paradox or something like that? The, I forgot the name of the ship. Um, I, I don't remember. Equinox. Something like that. Yeah. yeah I, I, don't, I don't recall. Yeah. So interesting idea. We're not necessarily uh, top dogs. All kinds of continuums out there that we're interacting with. Some more advanced, a lot not as advanced, etc. So interesting. So Lieutenant Mercia who has been, uh, who's the comms officer. Now he is established as being one of two advanced aliens that were on the ship, and now it's just down to him. Right. So he's cut off from his dimension, and now he's going to be on the ship. So that's interesting. This person, obviously, since his counterpart is flying through space, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Johnny Storm, uh, Human Torch, and is able to close up a white hole... (laughs) <laughs> they got some powers. I mean, probably not Q powers, but they got some powers. Right. Yeah, so I, I was wondering the same thing, if he was going to have his X-Men type powers. <laughs> X-Men type powers. Interesting. That well, that, I just that. kept thinking. You, you thought of Johnny Storm. I kept thinking of Jean Grey when she was doing that stuff. So, but Oh, uh, Oh, so you were thinking of Jean Grey when the female Andorian changed shape and started right. flying through space? Exactly. I okay. was thinking of when Jean Grey became the Phoenix and stuff. But but oh, okay. I see the Johnny Storm. Uh, I'm just saying from the uh, image. Yeah, the no, image. absolutely. Yeah. Same same for me. Yeah. So you assume that he still has those powers too. Oh, yeah. Why shouldn't he? Unless they're somehow cut off from him? I don't, don't think so. Maybe but, you have to be close to the White Hole to get the powers? I don't know. Hmm. Because it is problematic, isn't it? I mean, he's supposed to be non-interference, but what happens the first time 
I mean, well, look, okay, what happens the first time the ship comes into a no-win situation? Well, they, they, didn't, they didn't expose themselves during the Borg incident, so that was a restraint, right? But what happens next time that the ship is really about to be destroyed? Is he well, going to do something about it? He needs to let it get destroyed along with him. But she I mean, didn't. She, she was willing to destroy herself. She no, saved think, everybody. Well, yeah, she did end up doing it. Yeah. So she set the precedent that they'll step in if there's no other choice. At least she will. But she did damage the ship in a way that it could have destroyed the ship. I mean, they did say that she could have destroyed the ship and her. Uh, and well, she said, well, that was for your own good. Well, Scotty, Scotty said she could have. Right. But maybe she really knew what she was doing. But who knows? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, so now we've got unknown powers, Lieutenant Mercia, and he's just going to still, you know, work the radio. Yep. Which, are they going to tell Starfleet? No, they said they told Starfleet, and Starfleet gave him permission to stay aboard Oh, okay, the ship. so I missed that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, interesting. So they, So we've got a new character. Right. Okay. Yep. And as soon as Ahura comes back, he's out, though, so don't get too attached. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. So I didn't explain it in the uh, synopsis, but there is a little scene with Captain Terrell after, you know, he, he was fully bored last issue, so now he's in recovery. Yep. I, I think it's interesting. I, I think they're setting up something with him where he's going to try to do some retaliation against the Borg, or maybe he's going to be crazy or something. But uh, well, he mm-hmm. says he says he's going to be ready for when they right. return. Right. So I don't think they would have put that in there if if they're not going to yeah. bring him back. He's going to come back. Well, he'll be in the next issue. I'm pretty right. sure. Right. He's in the next issue, so definitely, I think again, he's in there on, mainly to kind of like remind you that he might not be all right. Yeah. So uh, another thing I liked is when you see him in the bed. He still got the eye patch on. What, did he lose a leg or something? Or his arm? No, his arm. Right. His arm is still, like, chopped off. And I like that because I always thought when they put the laser eye in that basically they took out your eye and they kind of, like, directed to your optic nerve or something. Whatever. Right. And, of course, they got to chop your arm off to put the robot thing on there with the whatever is at the, at the end of it. Right. So I like the idea that he was like that. And I thought they were going to continue with that. Like he'd be, you know, Nick Fury with the eye patch and stuff. But as we see in the next issue, or we will see in the next issue. Oh, yeah, he, he's back to normal. Exactly. He's just got a few Band-Aids above and below his eye. And his eye's back. And it's like, okay, you know, they, they got advanced tech and things like that. But what, what <clears throat> either they don't take your eye out when they put the laser thingy in there, the Borg. Or they just replace his eye. And it's like... Well, that that's what always bothered me with Picard becoming Lacutus. That exactly. first that, that I, I season finale, agree. I was like, "Oh my god!" Now he's not going to have an arm and an eye and all exactly. this stuff. And then as soon as he gets unhooked, it's just like, "I'm back to normal." Exactly. So yeah, I wish they would have. I always wish they would have done something else to explain where his eye and arm came from. Yep. Instead of just they did the next scene, he's back to normal. Exactly. And his eye looks normal. So yep. either they don't take your eye out, or if they do take your eye out, they have the ability to replace an eye that looks that is functional and looks just like a, a normal eye. But if they had that, Geordi doesn't get 
a normal looking eye until the movies. And then even then, it's still robot. Exactly. It's it's mechanical because you can see the little <laughs> stuff in the uh, you know the, the pupil <laughs> and everything. Yeah, the iris. That's it. The iris. So oh, that's a good point. Good point. Um, I I just don't know. I, that just bothers me a little bit. Agreed. Yeah. So yeah, when they took Picard out of the thing, it was like, well, it doesn't look all that bad to be assimilated now. Right. <laughs> it's not as it's not as intrusive as I thought. <laughs> exactly. Because it may, yeah. Because I think that was part of the shock value when you first saw people like like Picard being uh, prepared uh, and going through the assimilation process was like, oh my gosh, they got Picard. Anyway, yeah, and you see, Saul's and they're really going mess- and exactly. Stuff. They're going to mess him up. Anyway, yep. At the beginning, when Sulu is talking to Kirk and talking about. Uh, how Sulu's husband and daughter prefer to living aboard ship and think it's safer than living on a planet. It's like, really? <laughs> on a ship that's probably going to have to go and engage the Borg or go on a rescue mission like, like they did in, in the previous issues? Right. You think that's a safer place to be than a, than a planet? I mean, there's lots of planets in the Federation. It's going to take the Borg a long time to assimilate all of it. I would rather be on a planet, personally, but whatever. Unless it's a little science vessel that's not going to get in the well, thick of things. Yeah, and if you were on an exploration, well, yeah. But I don't know. It it just seems – I mean I can see them wanting to be with Hikaru. I can see that. Uh, I just don't buy the idea that it's safer <laughs> on the ship. Right. Anyway. So I do think it's funny that everybody's getting promotions. So if they do make another movie with this crew, yeah. I mean, are they going to demote him? Right? He's he's first officer now. And then uh, no, when, keep him as when first Sulu officer. comes back, are you going to be like? I mean, when Spock, when comes, Spock back? comes back, yeah. Oh, they got to do something. Yeah, you got you got a good point there. And did you notice Chekhov's not in any of these books? Yes. Yep. Do they explain where he is? I don't think they ever did. So I was kind of wondering if this was their way of, you know, phasing him out. Uh, Phased? Let's see. He's chopped. Well, he won't be in the movies, but, I mean, they need to explain where he is in the books. Yeah, I don't In the continuity. I mean. Yeah, so that, so he's not phased out. He's out. And so they were serious about that. I mean, didn't J.J. Abrams say, or somebody in the production staff say, uh, you know, we're... We're not going to have Chekhov anymore. Right. So that, at least the book makes it look like that's a real decision. Yeah, I still wish the book would uh, have Terrell commanding the Reliant and Chekhov becoming his first officer. Oh. That's, that's, how, <laughs> that's how the book should have explained where he went to. Yep. But now that Terrell might be crazy, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> right. And this kind of... Um, it kind of accelerates things, but it does put – it makes sense because Sulu is on track to being captain eventually. Right. Sure. So that makes sense that he should be with Terrell as the first officer, even though it's different from what happened in the, in the original Taws movies. Right. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. So it seemed like – it seemed like at first when Sulu was being when, – when Kirk was saying 
talking to Kirk about coming on board as first officer, Sulu seemed to be hesitant almost about joining Kirk's crew because he's talking about, oh, I'm going to go, you know, I got a possible place on this ship and la 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 la. And then, um, despite the fact that it's the most logical thing considering that Valis is out of the picture now. Right. Um, but of course, in the end, Sulu's like, hey, it would be my honor. So it's all, okay, fine. It just seemed odd that he wasn't like, he just seemed hesitant at first. Well, even, uh, I mean, think about it. He's like, you're my, I need you to as my first officer since my current one is gone. But it kind of acted like, is it a temporary gig when you get her back or am I out of a job? And then I didn't like how Kirk says, and you can't say no. And I'm like, well, that's not really a choice then. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, if it's a, if it's a, you know, like a joke kind of thing, because this, this Kirk is jokey um, to some degree, you know, that's fine. But if he's really, I mean, if he's serious about that, which I don't think he is, uh, I think it's, I think, I hope that's a joke. Right. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So what what'd you think of the artwork? It's it's taken a, a different turn this this issue than what I How interesting. I was about to bring up the same thing. All right. Um I think it's very good, although it's not my preference. So the characters all look like they're like they're beefier. You know, they're very triangular shaped and you know, kinda like Kirk has a tiny head on a big body, uh to some degree. Um it almost looks like a uh, like a I don't know. It looks almost a little bit like a like a hard manja kind of look to it, kind of sort of, but not quite. But I like it. I mean, I I think it's good quality. Right. I mean, it's yes. accurate. It's accurate enough that you could you could recognize the characters with no problem. It's just uh, you know, it, it 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 takes its own artistic license. Right. Uh, a lot of times, I didn't think Kirk looked like Kirk at all. Yeah, well, he definitely is always looking really beefy. He has so very prominent eyebrows, and it's just like every once in a while I'm like, is that supposed to be Kirk? Okay, yeah, it is. Yeah. Gold, gold shirt, gotcha. Well, he, he does have like black eyebrows, and it's like, what is that supposed to tell us he dyes his hair? <laughs> Everybody has tie- black eyebrows. That's well, how the, they drew every single person in this book. Yeah, okay. I I, I didn't. I didn't do a survey, but yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I don't I'm scanning around. I think you're right about that. Everybody's got really dark eyebrows. Okay, which in some cases makes sense. So, did you like uh, Robert Ricardo's uh, guest starring gig in this what? one? All right, who? After Marcia frees the Andorian partner, I forgot her name. By going ahead and shooting Zara. Right. The next page, there's a crewman at a panel that goes explodey. That's Robert Picardo, obviously. It is not Robert Picardo. Oh, look at him. He looks like Robert Picardo. Yeah, in a red shirt. The same hair, aside from that. It doesn't look at all like him. <laughs> oh, what do you mean, at all? Sure, it looks like him. I don't see it at all. Oh, okay, whatever. Anyway, so <laughs> you guys out there, take a look and see if that doesn't look like Robert Picardo. I did like seeing him in Orville. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good guest starring gig, uh, despite how relatively short it was. Yeah, it'll come back. Yeah. Anyways, wrong show. 
Anything else for this issue? I do like the artwork. Uh, I never did say my thing. I do like the artwork. Uh, It is more comic booky than we're used to with the boldly go. Oh, but uh, well, if you think if you think that's comic booky, looking forward to that. Your comment on the next one. Yeah, it's it seems like we're going in a different direction. Yeah, we're going issue six. Its artwork is a little off to me, but I like it still. And there's like a hard edge to it. The next issue is very comic booky, very Archie Comics style. Uh, I know I keep. I think I've used that. That. Uh, yeah, you. That you really before. hate Archie. <laughs> we all know. Yeah, and, and there's a TV show. Small. Uh, what's the TV show? Uh, Riverdale. Riverdale. Okay, so again, like Smallville, it's Riverdale. That, that just this blows my mind. Anyway. So I, I say it. All right, let's get to the next one. Well, it is getting a spinoff. You know that, right? Oh, my gosh. The so Chilling really, Adventures of Sabrina. Is I, a new I, TV series. Sabrina, the teenage witch? What? Yeah. Who's Sabrina? Yeah. yeah, Sabrina was an Archie comic. She spun off of Archie's. Okay. Great. So, well, there I you know. go. It's exciting. I, uh, yeah, I don't understand why they should do such a thing, but okay, fine, 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 great. Not all TV has to be made for you, Ken. <laughs> People have different tastes. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. <laughs> People watch soap operas. I know people have other. Oh, we watch soap operas too. It's called Star Trek. That's not a soap opera. Yeah, it's getting there. It's a space opera. Big difference. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, so I'm doing seven. Yep, go for it. Okay, so number seven was titled Murder at Babel, part one of three. So we have a three-parter here. April 2017th is published date. Writer, Mike Johnson and Ryan Perot. Art, Megan Levins. Colors by Sarah Stern. Letterer, and World Designs. Production design, Neil Yataki. Editor, Sarah Gatos. Publisher, Ted Adams. We have four covers. The first one is really colorful, a artistically drawn cover that features the heads and shoulders of Kirk and Spock, and then in the background, Jayla and two more cadets from the uh, Kelvin's version of Starfleet Academy are standing behind them in a bit of a uh, cross-marketing play. But actually, they do show up in in this story, so it isn't just cross-marketing. This cover is by George Kaltsodas. Always have a hard time pronouncing his name. The next one is just a retailer incentive cover, and it is another poster from Star Trek Beyond featuring a photo of Spock with uh, a swarm of warm ships cutting across diagonally from the, uh, on the picture from the upper right down to the lower left. The second retailer incentive variant cover is kind of generic. It's a drawn one, and it shows Ohura's head and shoulders in a Starfleet swoosh. And a star field in the background. And that covers by Chrissy Chung. The subscription cover, fourth and final one, features Jayla's head in the upper left of the cover. And really hers is dominant. Her head is dominant. With the five Starfleet cadets from the Starfleet Academy comic. And they're all ready for trouble with phasers drawn. And they're all in the lower half of the comic. So we're going to get a lot of cadet action in the story. 
Scotty, dressed in the all-black uniform of a Starfleet Academy instructor, tells the six cadets he had pulled strings to get them assigned as aides to the upcoming Babel Conference. Hundreds of dignitaries will be there from all over the Federation, so he advises them to only speak to them if spoken to first. Captain Kirk walks into the room, welcoming Scotty and the cadets onto the Endeavor. He describes the importance of their mission to Babel and introduces the first conference attendee they will be picking up, an Andorian ambassador who just so happens to be Chev's father. Great! A family reunion. This, this should be great. It can't go wrong. The ambassador asks to speak to his son alone. Kirk, of course, grants it. Chev and his father walk through the halls of the ship. The ambassador chastises Sheb for not contacting he and his mother for months and staying away from their home for so long. Sheb tries to explain recent events have kept him very busy. The ambassador lays down the law and essentially says Sheb has no choice but to return to his place in the Andorian society after he completes his schooling. Cut to Babel. After the Endeavor and all delegates have arrived, Kirk's log entry summarizes the purpose of the meeting, to convince the Romulans that working closely together going forward is critical to the Empire and Federation's security, given the recent Borg incursions into Romulan space. Kirk and McCoy take the opportunity to meet with the Vulcan delegation, Sarek, Ahura, and Spock. Kirk is happy to see Spock recovered from the Borg assimilation. Spock credits his robust Vulcan physiology and observes Captain Terrell's recovery may not be as easy. Cut to a round chamber with observers above its circumference. Around a round table, Captain Terrell is telling the story of he, his crew, and his ship's assimilation at the hands of the villainous Borg. He warns that the Borg sees the citizens of the Federation as inferior beings ripe for assimilation. They will not stop until the entire Alpha Quadrant is absorbed. Unless they all come together in a common defense, the Borg will assimilate them all. Terrell aimed his words in particular at the Romulan delegation. Later, during a soiree, littered with diplomats, the, two, the very undiplomatic Chev is loudly mouthing off to his fellow cadets about how Romulans cannot be trusted. They will not contribute to the common defense and will just use the conference to take advantage any way they can find. A Romulan diplomat comes up behind Chev and is concerned for so much distrust coming from one so young. Chev mouths off again just as Kirk cuts in and orders Chev to his quarters until they can talk. Kirk apologizes to the Romulan ambassador for the cadet's words. The conversation shift shifts to Vallis, who Kirk says is still being held in a Romulan prison. The ambassador corrects Kirk, telling him Valas has sworn an oath of allegiance to the Romulan Empire. In fact, he beckons Valas to join them. Surprisingly, Valas comes forward in civilian clothes and confirms the ambassador is correct. 
Though she was raised on Earth, she now sees that the Romulan Empire is committed to peace and prosperity for all worlds. She tenders her formal resignation from Starfleet and says Kirk's mistrust of the Empire is misguided. Later, in a large session, the lead Romulan ambassador speaks of past mistrust that he took part in. But now, with the Borg incursion, he sees they must come together for the common good. Towards the end of his groundbreaking call for cooperation, he collapses with green veins snaking their way up from his neck into his face. The ambassador has been poisoned! The ambassador's aide keeps McCoy away from the ambassador as she announces, He's dead! Hours later, Sarek informs Kirk, Spock, and McCoy the Romulans are threatening to leave the conference. McCoy informs the group he was able to get sufficient tricorder readings on the ambassador to tell that he was definitely poisoned. So it was murder. Kirk decides they need to find the murderers before the Romulans try to pin it on the Federation. Later, the new leader of the Romulan delegation informs Sarek and Kirk toxicology testing identifies the poison was a derivative of a plant native to Andor. With the aid of the Summit Security Section, a sweep of all attendees' quarters has been initiated for any trace of the poison. They should have the murderer soon enough. Kirk receives word an unregistered vessel has departed Babel at high warp. Based on the possibility that could be the murderer fleeing the scene of the crime, Kirk beams up to the Endeavor and takes off in hot pursuit. In the meantime, Shev is arrested by Summit Security, and taken in for questioning. The Romulans say his quarters contain traces of the poison. Romulans ordered that Shev be turned over to them, or all chance of cooperation between their peoples will be over. Meanwhile, Shev's father, the ambassador, visits his son, who is in a cell. The ambassador tells Shev he believes Shev is innocent of the murder charges, but guilty of being stupid enough to be made a patsy by the Romulans. Shev asks for his father's help, as the ambassador turns to leave, saying he was misguided to place any faith in Shev at all. Thanks for the support when the chips are down, Dad. Meanwhile, Kirk's pursuit of the mystery ship ends near an asteroid field. The ship is devoid of any life signs, and all its escape pods are jettisoned. Sulu concludes they are hiding in the asteroid belt. Kirk says this changes nothing, and they initiate a search of the asteroid belt. Back on Babel, Shyla takes down two guards and frees Shev from his prison cell. To be continued. Bum bum bum. Da da da. So, even without the big long stick, Shyla's uh, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, I hope she's not messing up her career. Well, this is rather a mutinous action, isn't it? Right. Of course, it doesn't take place aboard a ship, so is it still mutiny? Maybe not. But. Yeah, I really liked this issue um, as far as seeing the Starfleet cadet uh, people there, plus this kind of being a retread of a, a classic episode, the, 
the the Babel episode, right? Um, you know, with the mystery of the murder and all that stuff. Exactly. So, and again, it even it has Tellarites. Yeah, yeah, I saw them in the, in the front. <laughs> right. So now nah, this is a this is a good issue. I, I always liked those um, those original Star Trek books where it was kind of retelling classic episodes. So I liked I liked this one a lot. Yeah, with their own spin on it. Right. And yeah. I and I really I really love these characters, the Starfleet cadet characters from from their book plus their little guest stars, uh, you know, here in, in this book. I really like all of them. Yeah, but they're not given a chance to do that much. Not um, here. But I'm Chev does. Chev's got a lot of lines. And I didn't mention it, but there is a point where um the Vulcan cadet does approach Spock and asks for his aid. Um but really uh, what I forgot that the the kind of leader of the group, um, that dark haired human li- yeah, girl, the girl, she doesn't get to say much. Nah, I don't think she talks at all, does she? I, I don't think so either. And the big tall guy doesn't say much, if anything. So, uh, he has a few. He has a few jokes. Okay, yeah, he's good I mean, for he's good for comic relief. Yeah, that's a, that's it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping that this sets up a a, a bigger story that we'll go into next week, where yeah. um, maybe maybe more happens. So that Starfleet Academy series, was that just – I mean that was defined to be a certain number of issues, right? That's not still yeah. going on, is it? No, no. That was a miniseries. Okay, okay, fine. Okay. Well, it's good to see the characters again. And I liked how they even referenced that story. I mean Kirk – when Kirk meets him, he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, you, you're finding that ship in the time tunnel thing was right. – made all the news. you know. So I, I really liked all that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So you want to talk about the art style since we kind of brought it up last issue? Sure. Okay, yeah. It's an Archie comic. This this to me is more cartoony than it is comic booky. So I don't know. In my mind, I have like – Cartoony? What's the, I have car- what's the difference? I don't know. Cleaner lines, more vibrant colors. To me, that well, I always kind of classify that as cartoony. And then uh, what we got last issue was to me comic booky where it's a lot of, a lot of pencil lines, a lot of uh, – you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. In my mind, they're separate styles, but um, well, they're definitely and, separate styles. Yeah, right. th- th- this one's this one seems uh, softer. Uh, you, you you're right about you know lines being very very clearly drawn here, but the previous issue I think had more uh, inker work, uh, more darkness in it, uh, more shadows. Uh, this right. one is very everything's very round and just. You know, there aren't as many sharp lines. I mean, people's faces, like their noses are more, seems to be more curved or whatever. Um, it just seems like an Archie comic. Except for Scotty's cute little button nose. <laughs> well, what do you mean? That, that's exactly. That's how he looks? Well, no, no, that's exactly what I associate with, uh, with Archie or any kind of uh, like older, older fashioned comic sure. everything's very round and soft now, and I, you know. I totally when you say that i i get it right yeah so yeah i i, I like it i i think it looks good it's just you know just it, it, i i find i i take it less serious i don't i don't know i i guess that's what i have to say i took the previous books are more serious right i agree yeah, this is the tone that should be in a a more lighthearted story. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah I agree with that. 
but this is all about murder, so maybe the tone doesn't match this the story. Yeah, perhaps uh, so. I could I could see perhaps that argument. So. Yeah. Um, how do you like Babel? Is that what it looked like in the show? I wanted to go back and oh, rewatch it. I, I don't like, think so. I, I don't. No. I mean, I could see them doing a matte painting like that, but I was like, I don't. I, they didn't ring a bell at all. No. No. They, they, this this is very unique. I mean, it looks like a a three D chessboard, three dimensional chessboard that they've built like part of a city on. I mean, it's not all of it. So, I mean, it looks like some of the it looks like some of the uh, groups of buildings, like skyscrapers, are on the ground. But then, for those of you who may, not, may or may not have the book, um, there's like coming up from the ground is a big stalk. And then on it are a bunch of platforms that radiate out from the center. And it looks like a 3D chessboard. Yeah, 3D chessboard with skyscrapers on it. Right, exactly. Yep. So, quite interesting style. I've, I, don't, I don't recall ever seeing this style before. For okay. a uh, for a city, right? No, it it was different. Yeah, and and their skyscrapers are all ramrod straight, and they look like the the crystals from Superman the movie or something <laughs> like that. So. <laughs> You're right, and they're all kind of green, and they're right next to each other. It's like there's no gaps between them. No, they're on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. again, well, it looks like the Superman crystals when they yeah. come out. It does. For him to control the fortress. It does. The fortress of solitude is here. So yeah, I, I'm. I was. I was curious where this style came from. Yeah. I just assumed it was in the original show, and I just didn't remember it. I don't think so. I didn't think they tended to do things as sophisticated in the original show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they had a heavy reliance on matte paintings, and they tended to be a little less out there. This is a little out there. Right. Um, and they got a whole, you know, line <laughs> of flying vehicles up in the sky, uh, reminiscent of uh, what Attack of the Clones. Oh yeah. So you know, there's freeways in the sky here at Babel. So is this all of Romulan's setup or what? It has to be. It has to be right. Well, remind me who was the killer on on Babel, right? They weren't they. That was they were. That was an Andorian. Oh no, hold on. It was an Andorian because an Andorian ended up of uh, stabbing Kirk in the back. But was he? But no, he was made up to look like an Andorian. What was he? Right. Though? It was a Tellarite, right? Oh, I don't think so. I think the Tellarites, the Tellarites and Andorians hate each other. Right. And they were the touch point of conflict. And I know that the Andorian that attacked Kirk, that was behind most everything, was not a real Andorian. And then they had that super fast ship. I, I don't remember the name of the uh, the race, but I think it was yet a different race. Not an Andorian, not a uh, not a Tellarite. It's been a while since I've seen that episode. Anyway. So, in this case, they're definitely setting it up to look like the Romulans did this. I mean, we know that somehow they turned uh, Valas, Valas, uh, you know, brainwashing, or they actually just talked her into it. She's clearly working for the Romulans. And then they killed their own ambassador? That's interesting. But well, she, does, she works for the Secret Service now, so that is something that they would do to, to further their own move, you know. Sure. And, another, and another thing is they would not – she wouldn't let McCoy t 
touch him. So maybe he's not dead, although McCoy was able to get tricorder readings. So you would think the tricorder readings that could at least tell that there, it did tell that he was poisoned could also confirm whether he's dead or not, you'd think. But right. I, I'm just putting out there that they purposely did not let McCoy touch him. Right. So maybe he isn't dead. Just put it out there. Good. I hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, so they obviously planted the poison in Chef's quarters. Somebody did, probably the Romulans. Right. The only thing is, was that just, was that, was he made the scapegoat because he, because it was a, a situation of an opportunity presenting itself? You know, I so, think they, they might be wanting to take down his family, right? His okay, family. But, but so the Romulans somehow got Chev assigned to the somehow oh, yeah, influence thing to get him assigned to the uh, to the Babel conference, and All then right. and then how'd they get Chev to mouth off like that? I mean, mind you, that's his personality, right? Uh, abrasive and kind of a jerk, but um, I don't know. It, there there are things that are Hogan's heroesy going on here. Uh, they just coincidence? Well, a lot of things would have had to have gone the way of the plan that seems more coincidental. It seems more difficult to influence. Right. And what's the deal about the, about the mystery ship? So... Yeah, whatever happened with that? Well, uh, they're at the asteroid belt or something, and whoever was on the ship took off in uh, escape pods. Escape pods, right. Right. So we'll find out next issue, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. The only thing is, escape pods, I thought, had limited range. They are in an asteroid belt. Uh, right. It's just, I mean, how far are you going to be able to go in, in them into an asteroid belt? Unless what you're trying to do is there's another ship inside the asteroid belt? I don't know. Ooh, maybe one that's disguised like an asteroid. Oh, my gosh. Does okay, that sound so, familiar? So something like that might it is it is familiar. <laughs> <laughs> it is familiar. Uh, what was a recent that? Well, issue. Well, it was the last week. What was it? What uh, what series was that one? Uh, was that a goal key? There, there goes my memory. Um, but, but definitely, <laughs> definitely, there was one. Yeah, it was where... a gold key where the the asteroid the ships were disguised as asteroids. Right. That's right. It was gold key. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, that oh, that was for the mining thing or something, wasn't it? Right when the, when the pirate, and there was two or, of them. The oh, pirate and miners. Hey, you know what? And, Kirk, and in that one, Kirk was uh, accused of something that he didn't oh, right. commit there and had go. to try to prove himself innocent. Right. Just like Chev's having to prove himself innocent by breaking the law. I, see, there's nothing new under heaven and earth. Yeah, well, I guess these people have a red gold key too. <laughs> right. Okay, so I think it's a, a pretty nice setup for this three-parter, but I really don't have any more comments on it. Uh, I have one more comment. I, I get why Sarek's there, mm-hmm. because he was in the episode Journey to Babel. Right. But I cannot in a million years imagine a world where the, the Romulans would would talk to Sarek, because Sarek tried to destroy the Romulan homeworld in a previous issue with what little red matter they had left and all that stuff. So I'm just like, mm, why point. would why would they pick Sarek as the the ambassador? Because that that has to still ruffle some some feathers. Oh, uh, because most people like me don't remember that. <laughs> 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 right. 
Right. It was one of the original uh, Star Trek series, uh, the ongoing. Yeah. Uh, when do you remember it I, now? I, well, I, I remember the incident and the group from uh, Vulcan that did that. Uh, I just yeah. didn't remember that Sarek was uh, involved in it. Oh yeah, yeah, and he got captured, and then Kirk and them freed him. Yeah, and then then, then they, they then the they got caught, the and then the way for Kirk to let get everybody go is that mm-hmm. he you know he gave the Romulans the red matter, the red matter, right? Which is like, man, that's really dangerous, right? Because where do you think Nero gets it in the future? Because Kirk gave it to him in the past. Hmm. Well, it's all—it's all a circle. Okay, but it's Vulcans that came up with the red matter. Damn it! You're right. Even though Nero was a red man, Romulan. Well, yeah, but he was just a yep. minor. He didn't. Yep, have you're right. You're right. Stuff. You're right. Yep. Okay. My bad. No, it's not bad. Just. Oh, I'm bad. Yeah, because it was uh, Spock that had the red matter, right? In the right. jellyfish. <clears throat> right. That's right. All right. See now, my memory is bad too. I did like seeing <laughs> the the Doctor Flox character in here, uh, or the oh, uh, species. Oh, one of his species. Where, where was that? When uh, Kirk is talking to Terrell, you can see uh, in the background. In the background, one of one of I forgot their names. Well, cool. It's good to see his race. His race. Yes. They should be there at the at the conference. Yep. So it was cool many, to see many wives and uh-huh. husbands. <laughs> right. It's good to see Tellarites. You need Tellarites at the Babel Conference. Yeah. Pig people. Pig people. Oh, is, that, is that racist? Sorry. Uh, I shouldn't call them pig. Well, they look a little less piggy in these comics than they did on the, uh, in, in the actual Taws episode. Right. So they, they've altered the design a little bit. Yeah, you still knew who they were. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Cool. So we're all set up for yep. a prison break. And now... Just like The Fugitive and many other stories that have gone in the past, we have uh, Dr. Richard Shev out there to um, prove his innocence. Exactly. Okay. All right. Shall we move on to the next one? Let's. All right. So just so that uh, everybody listening at home knows, we will do 8, 9, and 10 next week uh, of this. But but now we're going to switch gears a little bit and do waypoint number six. The final one. Sniff, sniff. So the next issue we're covering today is the last issue of Waypoint. That is uh, number six. Came out by IDW on July of 2017. Had three covers. The first cover is by Gabriel Hardman. And it shows Kirk, Zahn, McCoy standing kind of in the middle. Above them is a huge picture of the Enterprise. And below them is a crashed shuttlecraft with a blonde nurse chapel standing next to it and then the uh, incentive cover is by tom whalen it's kind of a artsy profile of spock and it's kind of i don't know what the style is but it's a lot of like uh, horizontal lines or diagonal lines kind of making up the picture and then the last one is a photo cover uh, that's just a steal from the original series with Kirk sitting in the chair, looking longingly into Spock's eyes, and then Ahura, McCoy, and Scotty standing behind him. So the first story is entitled The Rebound Effect, and it is a, an original series story written by Karina Becco, 
Art was by Christopher Hurden and letters by and world design. So the story starts with Nurse Chapel, uh, a very disheveled Nurse Chapel with torn clothes and everything. And she's telling McCoy of some recent developments. And then we go into a flashback and we see Nurse Chapel and a lizard crewman named Scove. They're at a medical conference. Uh, Scove briefly meets with another reptilian person named Dr. Traff. Dr. Traff just wants to wish Scove and Chapel good luck on their upcoming uh, negotiations. With that, uh, Nurse Chapel, Scove, and two other female doctors are traveling back to the Enterprise in a shuttle. Uh, at the controls, Cove gets sick, and he actually crashes the craft. Uh, they have crash-landed onto a desert planet where they are attacked by some giant, crazy-looking creatures. Uh, Nurse Chapel is the only one who can grab a phaser and ward off the monsters. She's also able to send out an SOS to the Enterprise, and they quickly get rescued. So back in the present time, McCoy scans Chapel to see if she might have any type of weird virus or anything. Uh, because he already scanned Scove, and even though he was the one that was sick earlier, he shows no symptoms or anything now. Uh, Scove is actually released from the doctor's care, and he returns to wherever these negotiations are taking place. McCoy finishes his analysis on Chapel's blood, and he does find that there's a weird virus in there that it seems to be uh, a bio-created virus that only attacks certain species. Chapel then realizes the issue. Dr. Taff was actually at that conference talking about how they can bioengineer viruses. And so she speculates that maybe he slipped it to Skev, and then Skev is to now pass it to the two species that are in negotiations, who are also the same race as Skev and Dr. Traff. McCoy and Chapel rush to the negotiation room to find all of the reptilian representatives gravely ill, and they actually find Skev is dead. Chapel recalls from the time she spent with the conference enough to create an antidote to the virus, and she's able to save everybody else before they die. Chapel thinks to herself, this is the place in the universe where she truly belongs. The end. Da, 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 da. Cool. Good to see uh, Nurse Chapel in the lead in the story. Yep, she's taking the reins. Yeah. I wish it was a little better story. But uh, it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of she can do anything. She's too perfect a character. She can she can cure people. She can she can fight off giant monsters. She can rig up the communications to send SOS. I mean, it's like, is there anything this woman can't do? Exactly. Aside from get with Spock. Hey, right. <laughs> right. Now, uh, handling a phaser, that doesn't require a lot of technical... Uh, expertise it just takes guts so i can kind of see that she's she's protecting herself and her cohorts but all the i'm a researcher and i can come up with cures and you know she's a nurse right not, i mean not a doctor not not a a researcher i mean it sounds like she's got good potential but she doesn't have a lot of experience in those things but anyway right one of the doctors that was uh fretting over Scove and, and was so terrified by the monsters that she couldn't do anything. They they said she was a microbiologist or whatever, so she should be the one that would really 
remember more of that and, and maybe be the one that they brought back to do the antidote. I would think. Yeah. Or I wish they would have gone in and said, this is where Nurse Chapel decides she's going to become a doctor. Because, you know, after the original series and before the motion picture, she does become a doctor. And I think that was supposed to be part of Star Trek Phase 2. Hmm. So why end with the story with, this is where I belong in the middle of nowhere as a nurse helping people where I can't, you know, yeah. fixing bandaged knees or something, right. scra- scraped knees. Right. I wish they would have said, you know, I think I am going to go ahead and become a doctor. There you go. I think that would have been cooler. Yeah. Or she could have said, you know what, I think I'm going to become a, uh... <laughs> oh, shit. I forgot what's a, what, a beta Z. Oh, Betazoid? Yeah, I think I'm going to become a Betazoid and have a, a daughter in the future. <laughs> that was a okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah, I laughed. Yes. Yeah. 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 I got it. <laughs> just making sure you're laughing because of the joke, or not just because you thought I was really that stupid. No, no, because of, of your joke, of course. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You humorous individual. Anyways, what were you gonna say? Um, the one thing I kind of like about this is the drawing of the lizard crewman, who, by the way, is not a Gorn. So he's a lizard crewman from a lizard race, and I don't know. I kind of, I kind of dig the looks of the uh, of the lizard guy. With the the head crest and all that stuff. He, yeah, he's got a like like a uh, like a shark fin coming off shark the top fin, of his head, yeah. and uh, I think he looks pretty cool. Yeah, no, he looks cool. And the other doctor, uh, Doctor Trove or whatever, the bad guy, uh, he looks pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah. So they're both lizard uh, reptile races from the same planet but they're not the exact same race right uh, they, they made that clear uh, but trove but yeah. does want to kill them all he wants to kill both species anybody both. who's at that at that negotiation he he, he kills both of them <sighs> okay okay but okay so you'll have to help me out because okay there's two different species from the same planet they look similar because they're both reptiles, but apparently there are some differences. So they're not they're not the same species, right. and they hate each other. And right. the conferences they're trying to get together. Yet the uh, trove or the doctor, the researcher, hates them enough that I thought he killed the crewman's race. But you're saying he killed both races? Um, I thought that they killed both. Did he not? Maybe not. Because um, that, I mean, what's this? What's well, his motivation he was just for killing that? both of, Because they were trying to make peace, so kill the peacemakers. I don't know. Uh, that's the way I took it. But you might be right. Maybe he only killed Scove's people. That would make more sense, but it's not. I'm rereading the page where everybody's like, like a lot of dead lizard bodies. Yeah, and in the page before, it's when she's coming up with her idea. So I'm reading that one. But they share a planet. That's what the summit's about, unless the two sides achieve. La 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 la. Okay. Well, it should say it. It should make it clear on the next page, right? That's the last page. Shows a bunch of dead lizards, and my God, Jim, it's a massacre. Yeah, I don't know. Scott I'm going with he killed both of them. Unwittingly carried an engineered pathogen aboard. And I don't see any lizard guys standing up saying, hey, why are these other ones dead? Uh, so, well, they wouldn't be in the same area. 
I thought they were doing the negotiations. Okay, so this allowed us to reverse engineer an antidote. Okay, the initial sickness became... They just don't make it clear. I think the only thing that makes sense is that only uh, Scoves or whatever his name is, that his people would have been the object of the attack. Right. Oh, whatever. It's a, it's a relatively short little story, and uh, I guess they don't have to explain everything. Right. Because they didn't clearly say what happened, so. Okay, well, what do you think about the art style? I like it. I liked it a lot. It's very different. It's yeah. watercolors, is that the art style, or maybe... That's, that's what I call it. I don't know what it really is. Yeah. It's, I mean, so, I'm sure it's done in the computer now, but it has that look to it. Yeah. So it is basically the art style that I tended to test. I just don't think it's that good. And this looks like an even rougher version. So the watercolor art style that they use in that comic book version of the original City on the Edge of Forever script used yeah, it. Woodard. Right. Yeah. And it's been used in other things too, and I tend to not like it every time it comes up. But this looks like an even rougher version. Almost like using like charcoal uh, kind of uh, artwork, and right. and I it's fine. I still not my preference, but it is it's different. Why do the same yeah. thing all the time? Right, exactly. Yeah. No, I like it. Uh, I wouldn't want to read. You know, I wouldn't want the whole series to be this way. But for a little one-off or a mini series, yeah. this works fine. Um, yeah. I thought that this. Artwork style worked really well with the creatures. Oh, know, I agree. The creatures are, you know, the humans only come up to these creatures' knees. So these things are huge. I, they, they look like sheepdog trees. <laughs> yeah. But they're pretty creepy looking, and, and she's warding them off with the phasers. I really liked I really liked those pictures. Yeah. Oh, um, I, th I think those creatures look great. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, it's got, it, it's, it, it, at first it looks like a tree. Of course it isn't really a tree, but, uh, and then it's got this hair all over it, long hair. Uh, but you can see these incredible, uh, sharp teeth coming out of the big mouths. Right. And you can see the spine poking out. So where there's not hair, it just looks like an emaciated dog or something. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I really like this, the style. Yeah. Cool. But overall, I like I like the artwork and the story. Just maybe because it was so short, had to it didn't get to flesh itself out very well. Right. Because that I mean the the whole backstory of her takes up most of the book. You know, her telling them about the monsters and stuff, right. and, and most of them are just like you know one or two panels per page, and they're beautiful, but you know they're not really furthering the story aside from just showing how cool these monsters are. Yeah. <laughs> okay anyways that's all i have for that one all right so let's move on to the fear Ooh. so this is a star trek phase two story it says it right there on the cover so the artist and the writer are gabriel hardman the colorist is d cunifee and the letters are and world design so it starts off with a Romulan craft coming out of nowhere and slamming into the Enterprise. Decker, Zahn, and Chekhov leave the bridge to investigate the damaged section of the ship, and they request McCoy meet them there. 
Once they get there, they find a lot of green Romulan blood everywhere. Kirk seems very short with Zahn, and McCoy has to kind of pull him aside and tell Kirk that this is not Spock, so chill out. Eventually, they're able to find two unconscious Romulan crewmen still alive. Later in sickbay, the two Romulans wake. One is the commander, and he refuses to answer any other questions, like why are they on the wrong side of the neutral zone. The other one seems like she's about to tell something when the commander goes ahead and opens up, and he tells them that they were attacked by some sort of space creature inside their ship that caused them to go off course, and they crashed. And he tells them that the creature may still be alive on now the Enterprise. Kirk agrees that if such a creature could exist somewhere on the ship, then that should be their first priority, is to find it. Uh, as they split into multiple parties to search the ship, Zahn learns that a crewman had not arrived to his shift. Thinking that this might be a lead, his team investigates the crewman's quarters. There, they find a large insect creature. Zahn then performs a mind meld. Later, Zahn informs the captain that the creature requests asylum on the ship and within the Federation. The creature told him that they are being bred for bioweapons by the Romulans and that he attacked the Romulans only in self-defense so that he could try to escape and get help. Kirk offers to help, and the Federation will look into the possible war crimes of these captured Romulans. The end. Well, interesting story, but I think I'm going to talk as much about phase two kind of things. Right. Uh, with this, this issue. So I found it very interesting. You saw a very small bit of Deckard at the beginning, and Decker. I think that's about it. Yep. Or Decker. Okay, whatever. And then... Um, and he definitely looks like the Seventh Heaven guy, which I thought was cool. He does. Who I hear was another person that was supposedly some kind of molestation thing. But yep. whatever. We don't bring that up here again. Uh, okay. Um, I thought I might. Well, and he, then, he was he was accused of it way before it became fashionable. everybody in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. He's the original. Oh, boy. That's too bad. Yeah, that's horrible. Okay. So um, and then, of course, we've got Spock replacement. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Does does this guy actually look like the actor? Yeah, he does. That was supposed to be it. Okay, very interesting. And then uh, the Enterprise itself. It looks like it's very similar to the motion picture uh, Enterprise, but not quite. There are some differences. Right. The nacelles are the the squarish ones instead of round, uh, like the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. But it looks like there there's just a few. We don't see that much of the outside of the ship in this comic. Uh, and actually, one of the best pictures we see is on the cover. Um, but but the nacelles are very similar to the next uh, to the movies, but not quite the same. Uh, the the pylon connecting them looks very similar, but I think in the movie version, the pylon part that attaches to the nacelles themselves, it's there's like a notch in it in in this comic, which is. Where, up at the top, yeah. Up at the top. Whereas I think it went at uh, an, uh, a continuous line of metal where it connected in in the motion picture one. Agreed. It's got a it's got the old fashioned parabolic dish for the deflector uh, thing in the comic, as opposed to the um, 
the, the smooth single unit without something sticking out that the right. movie had. Are there other differences you might have noticed? Uh, the saucer itself seemed more smooth, like okay. the uh, like the original Enterprise's saucer section as okay. opposed to the um, movie version. Right. That and the pylons were the only thing I noticed. I, I didn't really even notice the – what was it? The deflector dish. The deflector dish? Yeah. yeah. I did notice their uniforms. I did like how they have – their uniforms are the style of the original series, yeah. but with the motion picture logos. Oh, which for is the badges? The, yeah. Okay. Which I guess is what they were actually going to wear in phase one. Huh. Or phase two, excuse me. Right, right. Uh, the collars are very slightly different. Very slightly. So there appears to be like maybe a, ba- a thin band of collar on the black collar. Um, oh, like a little circle? Like, I wonder well, if that was... Like piping. Like yeah, piping. I see it. You can particularly see it well on a close-up of Kirk. Uh, what page is that? Well, whatever. Uh, there, there's some panels that show it better than others. Because you need kind of like a close-up to see it. But, uh, but right. on, on fir- you know, at first glance, it looks the same until you really take a close look. Yeah, I've seen pictures of the Phase, phase 2 uniforms, and they, mm-hmm. and they don't have that piping. Yeah, okay. So I don't know if this was just artistic choice or... But yeah, yeah, every single shot has it. Yeah, if you look, because you'll see that McCoy's too, uh, the piping matches uh, the blue of the rest of his shirt. Right. Or should I say tunic? Yeah, slight differences. How about the uh, phaser? Was so, it different? Yes. So if you look on the cover, if Kirk is holding a phaser, which gives us a wonderful opportunity to analyze that. It's similar to the motion picture phaser in that they expanded the size of phaser type 1 and then stuck a handle on it, which is what the motion picture was like. But in this one, there's a original phaser-looking extra part on the front. So it looks a little bit, you know, it looks a little bit more Buck Rogers-ish to yeah. me uh, than, than what they use in the motion picture. The motion picture one was kind of boring, in my opinion, but... It looked more realistic, where this one looks more retro that they've got on the cover. Because it's got that extra thingy in the front, which is reminiscent of the original phaser. But still, it almost looks a little 1940s kind of Buck Rogers-ish. Anyway, yeah. there you go. I thought it looked like the, like the old one, so I, I didn't realize it was that different. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you can't see... I mean, in the original one, Phaser Type 1, it was clearly an extra part was in there. It stuck out on the sides. It was black as opposed to the the blue of the rest of the Phaser. So you could see, you know, Phaser Type 1. This is all smooth, and there might not even be a Phaser Type 1 in it. Right. Hmm. Add it on. Oh, yeah, I'm into all this. And now I'm going to want that. (laughs) I've, I've got a Phaser collection. So why did Eagle Moss not make a uh, Enterprise Phase Two? That would that would be. A good I one. bet they're gonna. I would not doubt that one bit. <laughs> so back to the Phase Two concept, and in this comic, we also see Ilya for a little bit. She doesn't have any speaking lines, but she is there at the yep. at the con. So that's nice to see her. So that covers the three new characters that were going to be introduced into Phase 2. Mm-hmm. But again, Nurse Chapel in Phase 2 was supposed to be Dr. Chapel, so mm-hmm. I really wish they would have 
I mean, that that first issue, the first story in this book could have been a tie into, you know, this is an original series story, but it's how it, it could also be a prequel to mm-hmm. phase two. Right. A missed opportunity, I think. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Could have been where she got her doctorate or something. Maybe she became a doctor in that first story. You're so good. We're promoting you to doctor. Isn't well, that how it works? No. <laughs> You have to go that's through how, a lot more how, training. That's how you can become captain. Uh, you did wow. one mission really well. Wow. <laughs> you went well, from it's... kicked out of school to captain. There you go. Because <laughs> you're so awesome. Okay. So that's all I got to say. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say, too. Uh, I mean, the creature was cool. I liked the creature, and I liked the idea that Zahn wanted to mind meld with it. But none of that is any out of the ordinary what Spock would have done. Yeah, I agree. Now, they do mention the part that the creature produced pheromones or whatever that elicited a fear reaction in people. Um, right. But it's the fact that Zahn was 100% Vulcan that it didn't affect him, or it didn't affect him enough anyway. And right. is it Kirk that says something about, who knows, maybe even the human half of Spock would have caused problems where Zahn was even better equipped, maybe, to handle this situation than even Spock. Um, yeah, he says that, but I don't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, something I didn't notice is the guy at the very beginning that kind of made it look like he was going to die. Right. Um, he's, the- he's the guy that's in the end. Right. So it's like they made, they set this up in a very cool-looking first page, by the way, talking about artwork. I think the artwork in the first page is very cool. Starting out with a bang with Kathoom. So they got the big lettering Kathoom as uh, as this crewman is knocked out of his bunk. Yeah, and you have no idea what's going on. Exactly. I, I kind of like that. Is, you don't know. No idea. You just see the smoke and you see a creature coming out. Right. He's and in got fact, his... when I read it, I didn't realize it was a creature. I thought it was just. I thought it was just smoke or or some of the you know like or, a crack or something. I thought it was a crack in the hull. Yeah. So this guy's like going, oh my God, because he's about to be blown out into space. That's the way I took it. That's why I, I it. took it. Yeah, it's um, funny. But then as you went on, you found out what was going on. It's like, oh, oh no, that was the creature. Oh. And then you go to the end and it's like, oh, that guy was at the end is the same guy that was in the beginning. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Right. Right. And the pheromones are what makes everybody just cower and, freak out. and drop their, drop their phasers. Yeah. Because that's how this creature talks. Right. Actually, I do have a question. Mm-hmm. Exactly why did the Romulan ship ram the Enterprise? I think that the, he was being honest when the creature, maybe the creature was piloting the ship at some point. I don't know. Okay, but, so so the creature decided to ram the ship. Now, how did it control the ship? I mean, sen- does it know how to fly? A, well, does it yeah. know how to fly a Romulan ship? Okay. Okay, well, whatever. But but if you want to get okay, so you're in the middle of because he because the creature apparently, although it is apparently peaceful, it can kick booty if it needs to. If it um, needs. To. And supposedly it was chopping up those Romulans real good. So right. if that was the case, then hey, just you know, fly by the other ship. <laughs> you don't have to ram it. Yeah, ramming might not have been his first choice. But it got the job done, didn't it, Ken? Well, it got their attention, yes, I will say that. 
Um, and apparently he got off scot-free, if that was the case. If it was the Romulans that rammed the ship, that doesn't make any sense at all. So, yeah. hmm. matter of fact, the last thing they would have done is ram a starship. They would have, I mean, they killed themselves at the end. So, they would have self-destructed their ship. Uh, it wasn't like they rammed into the Enterprise to get help. Um, okay. Okay, so, okay, I, I buy it. So, it was the creature that did that. Somehow. Right. Because the creature was not nice. No, the creature's nice. Uh, okay. So I like the artwork here a lot better than the watercolor, chalky, whatever. Of oh, really? the uh, Nurse Chapel thing. I like this artwork better. Yeah, I like this one too. Now, this was dark. You know, there's a lot of dark scenes, so there's lots of shadows and things. But I think there was a lot of emotion in some of these. And definitely the gross scene where you see all those Romulans all chopped up and all green and spattered. Yep. That was pretty cool looking. <laughs> you just love the macabre. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I do. And then the look on that Romulan face that he wakes up, he goes, no, I, I thought that was great. Right. Yeah. And then I like the idea that the Romulans are, you know, just on that other side of the neutral zone, building up an army of, you know, these alien creatures. Right. Which would be like, you know, us, you know, like somebody building an army of, you know, the alien from Alien. Well, which yeah. Which there's been a lot of comic books and novels and stuff, uh, you know, explaining that that's what their intentions were when they wanted to, when Burke wanted to bring one home in Aliens and all that exactly. other stuff. Exactly. Well, that's, yeah, he said that in the movie. Right. They want to make a bioweapon out of it. So. Right. So. Because I'm such a big fan of aliens, you know, when you when you start bringing that stuff in, I'm 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 going to buy it. <laughs> Plus, I, I mean, think of if this these creatures started running up to you, not only producing the fear, but also just tearing into you as a weapon. Yeah, that's very formidable weapon. That's a very formidable weapon. You know, kind of like you're, a unless starship you're, trooper. Unless you're going up against uh, a bunch of Vulcans. And yeah. by the way. This creature is scary looking, so he doesn't need any pheromones. I would be scared. It's like a spider, and it's got nasty little eyes, little red eyes, and it's got a very toothy mouth, and he looks nasty. But there's Zahn. Hey, I've never seen you before, and I'm just going to go ahead and touch you. It's like, really? Oh, my God. I mean, how did he know that the creature was a pacifist? He just had to risk it, I guess. Huh. Well, okay. I mean, that, that's cool that Zahn was open to things, and he wasn't fearful because of the pheromones, but um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think he's taken a huge risk here without a lot of evidence. Right. But you notice that the Romulan that's with him, she yeah. doesn't seem to be all that affected either. She tries to kill it, but she doesn't drop her phaser in, in fear like, no. the, uh, like the humans did. Oh, she I, didn't she grab uh, Spock's phaser? Yeah, Spock's she, not there, so that would be pretty. Oh, hard. I'm sorry, uh, Zahn, Zahn's phaser. <laughs> she drops one of the ones that uh, one of the crew members. She drops one. She grabs oh, okay, one okay. off the floor. Okay, okay, Zahn still has his. Yeah, but yeah, so she's she's not affected. Zahn's not affected. Why would we? Think well, that she Spock could would be, be affected, affected, but she's not affected to the point that she's gonna gonna give Power. up. It's yeah. fight or flight. And the two security people are flight. <laughs> and they drop their phasers. Yeah. Well, they're not flight. They're just cowering in the, exactly. on the floor. But, okay. 
fight or flight. So they're certainly not fighting. They're not flighting That's either. That's what I mean. I get you. They're um, the next one where they're so scared they just fall and pee on themselves. Well, they don't Paralyzed have fight or fear. flight or pee. Yeah, they're they're in the P one. It's Paralyzed. fight or flight. Anyway, whatever. So, um, <laughs> I got you. So I, I, you know, you know, she's she's fighting. She she's gonna shoot it. Anyway, right. Whatever. Well, I mean, this thing did kill her whole crew. So oh yeah, she has reasons. Oh yeah, she knows what it can do. Of course, if it wasn't imprisoned by you nasty Romulans, you wouldn't have a problem in the first place. But whatever. Right. Okay, so Rivers of Blood was pretty cool. Green blood. And uh, that's it. That's all I got. I liked it. I liked it too. Yeah. I wish they would do more of these. I really enjoyed the way. Oh, me too. Stuff. The idea that you can go anywhere in the Star Trek universe, including Enterprise. That's great. Or they could even do, you know, the what ifs like they did with that deviations one shot. You know, I I mean. Well, they're going to still do that, but they don't. I mean, for that, they don't need Waypoint. Oh, you're saying they could do more things like that in Waypoint? Right. Well, Deviations was just a one-off because right. that was that was IDW's big annual push that year. Is that right. you know all their series? What if something else happened? Right. But if you did Waypoint, you could introduce some more what if type stuff, you know, and then you could do one set in the the DC or Marvel uh, comic book universes instead of just the Gold Key. You know, I'm glad that they did a Gold Key story, but you. I mean, why not get Peter David to write a short little story explaining, you know, what happens to, uh, you know, Barclay? Not Barclay, uh, Bearclaw. Oh, Bearclaw. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can only do fan service like that. There's like, no way they're going to do that. They won't do it, but they could. You'd have to explain who he is for those of us that may not have read the comic in yeah. the audience. But. Okay. Okay. Still should have done it. IDW, bring it back. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, I just hope that the, the, the comics are selling well enough. Well, they must. They keep pumping out new ones. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Thank God. Thumbs up. I do yeah, so them. so uh, I I do wonder how things are going to go now that Disney owns Marvel. Disney just bought out Fox. Fox was the major shareholder in Boom Comics. Oh, really? Which Boom Comics, like IDW Comics, they specialize in franchise building, right? Mm-hmm. So most of most of their lines are you know uh, expanded universe type stuff. So now that uh, Disney owns Boom, I wonder I wonder what's going to happen to those if they're going to continue Boom or discontinue it and then those franchises would be up for sale again or, or how that's going to play out but i'm just wondering because there is a lot of crossover between idw and boom you know with uh you know the planet of the apes and mm-hmm. things like that so right i don't know it just makes me wonder what's going to happen to boom and if that could affect idw at all i hope not because i mean they both to me they it used to be dark horse comics dark horse comics was the place to go to continue your franchises outside of the movies and TV mm-hmm. show. And then it became IDW and Boom. So I just wonder what's going to happen now that Boom may or may not be affected by the the Disney buyout. Right. Well, let's hope they aren't. Let them do their thing. Because there's right. way too much consolidation going on. Yeah, I would hate to see it become just a, an imprint of Marvel. Because all the imprints of Marvel don't exist anymore. 
eventually it is just become Marvel. Just like, you know, you don't see Wildstorm comics and all that anymore yeah. after DC bought it out. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch what happens in the comic book world. Yeah. All right. So uh, as mentioned earlier, next week we'll be back with some uh, Boldly Go 8, 9, 10. 8, yeah. 9, 10, which 8, 9 will wrap up the Fable storyline. Oh, is it a three-parter? It's a three-parter. Oh, nice. Yeah. Murder at Babel. Cool. So we'll see how Chev is caught and executed for murder. <gasps> Ken! What? Is, isn't, don't you think that's what's, what's going to happen? <laughs> that's horrible. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So maybe he'll prove his innocence. Maybe. I don't know. All right. He'll pull another ship out of the future or the past, and then uh, all will be good. Okay. Sounds good. That's funny. Okay. There Horrible kid. That's how, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well then uh well then I'm now I'm really looking forward to these stories. <laughs> I love I love me some executions. <laughs> Do what they're not expecting, just like the uh, last Star Wars movie. So which is why everybody loved that one. Yeah, it worked out well for him. Yeah. Okay. See you next All time right. everybody. Take care. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.